0: Welcome to the Help Desk for Friday the 20th of November. My name is Peter Wells...
2: And I'm Tess Bennett.
0: And we've got a lot to talk about today, including uh, lessons not learned over at Fail. Vale. Uh, Tess, can you walk me through this article, please?
2: Yeah, so the census is on again next year, uh, and the ABS still has work to do to avoid repeating the mistakes of 2016. Quick reminder, the official story is that the 2016 census was downed by a series of distributed denial-of-services attacks, So they're hoping to avoid those mistakes again next year. Uh, An article in ZDNet points out that the 2021 census is moving from on-premise servers to Amazon's AWS, which should at least help with the load.
0: Tess, uh, that question of the DDoS, though, you brought this up because I'd completely forgotten, but, yeah, the official story was a DDoS attack, and and that's something we've heard a couple of times from our dear government when services have gone offline, but that wasn't exactly what happened, was it?
2: My memory of it, uh, you know, ancient history in internet years, is that the the sense in the community was like, oh, it's just everyone all trying to get on at the same time to fill out their census, uh, because it's the first online version, and the, the then Turnbull government and the ABS explained that the outage of the online census was actually a result of a systems failure and an overcautious response to a denial of service attack.
0: Yeah, so in layman's terms, they thought they were getting DDoSed, but in fact, it was, like you say, just people trying to be good citizens and filling out their forms.
2: Yeah, so looking ahead to next year, the Auditor General has re- released a report yesterday that found the ABS systems were, quote, partly effective and largely appropriate. But it concluded that the ABS, another quote here, has not put in place arrangements to ensure that improvements are made on governments reporting change management or infrastructure.
0: Mm, and if you work in IT, you'll be really frustrated by the... the that statement that they have not put in place arrangements for, especially change management, because, uh, not to get too nerdy here, but if you, the, the old saying in IT is, if you don't measure it, you can't fix it. You can't see what the issue is and find out how to fix it next time. And the fact that they're not doing anything, they change systems from on-prem to in the cloud... Uh, there's there's a couple of red flags in there for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and again, it's another opportunity for the government to try and shake off this reputation that's following them around about being not the best executing technology projects.
0: Well, if you want an electric car, the advice here from Tess is to head to Canberra. So a follow-up to the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago about electric cars and, and one of the things I mentioned was how, how far behind our public policy lacks when compared to places like California or places like the EU, which are really really giving great incentives for people to buy electric cars. Tess, we've, we're seeing Canberra has decided to buck the trend of Australia and, and start offering similarly very generous rewards for e-car
2: Yeah, so it seems that this could be an indication of what a sort of progressive electric car policy might look like in Australia, but the ACT government has announced that it will offer electric car buyers free rego and interest-free loans up to $15,000. Currently, the ACT already provides stamp duty exemption to electric car buyers, as well as a 20% discount on registration. So again, they're just really trying to encourage more people to uh, take up ownership of an electric car and get those sort of petrol cars off the road quicker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a friend who lives in Canberra. Hi, Bart, if you're listening. And he is absolutely all over this. As soon as this was announced, he, he started doing the sums and has a good old spreadsheet working out what his next car is going to be. So it just shows that these kind of incentives really can uh, influence consumers in a big way. And it's also worth noting that there's an old saying in politics that whatever happens in South Australia or Canberra becomes national law in in about 10 years time uh because they're both seen to be very progressive uh forward thinking uh electorates. So whatever flies there uh, tends to kind of trickle down to the rest of us in a couple of years. Hopefully it won't take 10 years for us uh, other states to get on board.
2: And uh, speaking of delays, Apple's iOS 14 privacy features will be delayed until 2021. So one key feature of iOS 14 is app tracking transparency.
0: Yeah, the app tracking transparency feature allows users to see exactly how the apps they have installed on their phones are tracking them and what data they're sharing with other apps also installed on their phones.
2: Yeah, so today uh, many of the free apps send a lot of information back to large advertising companies, mainly YouTube and Facebook. If you have a free weather app on your phone, for example, like unless it's from the Bureau of Meteorology, it's undoubtedly selling your location history.
0: Yeah, uh, I've got a good sniff test for this. Uh, if you look at how big the app is, package is, because a lot of these uh, these tracking services are given to app developers as big bundles. So if you've got an app that doesn't really do a lot, but it is over 100 megabytes, then it's jammed full of you know Google tracking, Facebook tracking, and a whole bunch of other things. And it's not just those two, actually. Uh, Twitter and Facebook both have crash analytics packages that they give away for free to uh, other app developers. And a lot of the stuff in there, uh, it, it's to help app developers see when their app is crashing in the real world but a lot of that stuff is actually then sending back every every interaction you have with that app back to Facebook or back to Twitter depending on which service you've, you go for and the frustrating thing about that is Apple actually provides a lot of this stuff for developers to use anyway but because people opt out of that they end up going with the, these third-party crash analytics services which are just tracking everything you do.
2: So Apple said uh, the delay in releasing uh, the new privacy features to stop all this tracking is to give time to developers to make the necessary changes in their apps... Perhaps some developers would be shocked if users were to know sort of how much data their apps were leaking back to other companies.
0: And in a letter, Apple signalled out Facebook as a company that tries to collect as much data as possible on its users. Facebook has told advertisers they could see a drop in revenue of over 40% when these privacy tools come online, and uh, they're trying their best to fight Apple. And they're trying to fight Apple over its app tracking transparency, and, and to be honest, uh, when it comes to privacy... I'm going to take the side of Apple over Facebook any day of the week.
2: And these changes that Apple is proposing actually do potentially have a bigger impact uh, than many types of regulation. I know uh, one advertising technology executive told me once that you know Apple's changes to cookies uh, in, in Safari browser had had more impact on the industry than uh, all of GDPR, which is Europe's uh, privacy <laughs> oh my God. legislation. So. So it had more of an immediate real world effect than a lawsuit that's coming. Yeah, you know, right. Five years down the pipeline.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, although Apple don't account for a, a majority of, of the share out there, they do account for a lot of the kind of richest users or the, the users that uh, advertisers are most desperate to, to get. And so, yeah, anything that kind of stops Apple's users being tracked really does ripple down uh, throughout the rest of the industry. Anyway, um I thought we'd end the week on a new segment so we can uh leave all of this weird stuff about pri- privacy and tracking and all the depressing stuff we talk about each week uh behind us and just cover something that is a bit nice. So Tess, uh, I'm going to start with you. What what has been your tech highlight of the week?
2: You, you've sprung this on me, so I haven't had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> Sorry about and um, <laughs> that means my mind has gone back to just what is the most recent in my memory. <laughs> and that is the good news that Christmas party season has already kicked off, and it's going to be virtual, which, uh, you know, if you are now, like me, not living in a city sense- centre, means you're not missing out. Uh, so, yeah, last night, uh, I guess I was participated in a virtual wine tasting which was hosted by Cisco through their Webex uh, video platform full disclosure they did send me two bottles of wine to accompany the tasting Um, and then they they Conferenced in uh, wineries from South Australia uh, and winemakers there to talk about how their crops had been, or vineyards had been, interrupted by the, or destroyed actually by the bushfires and sort of what they were doing and how they were recovering. So it's just another example of 2020 problem solving.
0: Yeah, look, this is one 2020 t- trend I can get behind. Cisco, if you're listening, I'll, I'll send you my address and you can send me some wine as well.
2: Anyway, what's your highlight?
0: Uh, For me, it has to be the M1 chips uh, in the Apple devices. Now, obviously, I'm a fanboy. I'll I'll take that on board. But it really, every time I open up the MacBook Pro, I'm still amazed at uh, I'm I'm now on a week without charging and it's on 23% battery life. And I have not been using that uh, MacBook Pro lightly. I've been using it quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's just blowing my mind. The, for me, the, uh, the really interesting one is actually the one that doesn't have a battery, the Mac Mini. Uh, it's been sitting on my desk, but because my Mini is basically my, the one computer that I do all my heavy lifting work on, I'm, I'm, Reluctant to jump in just yet because there's a couple of things that don't work on it yet. Uh, so as soon as as soon as that happens, as soon as my data to a apps tested and working on the Mac Mini, I think that's going to be the dark horse. I think that's going to be the one that outperforms the other M1 based chips that we've seen so far. So yeah, really interesting. Uh, I yeah, again, I I think if if you were sitting on the fence, if you were worried about the transition to M1 as I was, because I was really worried that something terrible could happen. It's a very, very big task to completely change your internal CPU and architecture. So far, so good.
2: Yeah, you heard it here first. These are a big deal.
0: (laughs) Exactly right.
2: (laughs) To summarise. (laughs)
0: Anyway, uh, that's all we have time for this week. Because it's Friday, I'm going to ask if you're enjoying the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. That helps other people find the show. And I'll speak to you next week, Tess.
2: Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: Thank you to everyone who's listening. See ya.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.